0: dan radio style hope everybody out there's having themselves a great day starting one of neville goddard's other books in the uh, the reader as we've talked about the complete reader this book is actually out of this world it's got a lot of parts to it i've already kind of done a video about it the lullaby and all that stuff is kind of tied into it this is a slightly different part of the chapter and then i'm going to do another one i think to kind of tie in the beginning of it a lot of very deep stuff is already coming up in the first chapter of a book that has four chapters. So these next few Goddard series should be very interesting. So this one in particular, I think, really gets into one of the magically parts, if you will. Why manifestations, one, seem to take a little time, two, how they have to kind of crystallize, right? How they're already real when you first think of them, how you see them, and you can see it, and it's clear, and it's real right now. And then that little paradox that we have to live with where my physical senses don't see it yet, but it's real and I have it right now. For a lot of people, that's tricky. That's disgusting here. And also the idea of your higher self, the idea of higher selves in general, thought transmissions, all these things, he also covers in this section of this one chapter, an amazing piece of Goddard work that gets in here. I love it. So it really gets into a lot of the unseen stuff. Also, there's two versions of four dimension that is perceived in here. One, there's I've talked about the corner of a room, right? Where you've got the area going up and then you've got the, you know, the corners coming out. That's called the X and Y uh, axis. And then you've got the Z axis going up, right? In the case of fourth dimension, and the thumbnail should have a hypercube on it. So that picture is kind of a fourth dimensional picture. That's a spatial fourth dimension, which also exists mathematically for sure. For those of you that are going to argue with me, I've taken a lot of calculus and physics. I'm sure that mathematically there are additional spatial dimensions, which means there's 90 degree angles that go off into who knows where that we can't seem to perceive because it's fourth dimension. But there's also another fourth dimension that's frequently spoken about, which is called time now, both of these fourth dimensions are true. One's spatial, one's time. Time can just be considered, I think, its own dimension in general. And supposedly all time exists right now. We step through it, and he gets into one very important last part, and then we're getting right into Goddard and his deliciousness to prove what I'm talking about here, which is the difference between parallel and serial. Parallel realities, right? It's two realities going simultaneously, or two parallel lines, or two lines going up that never, ever will touch each other, ever. The idea of serial is that everything's connected from one point to another. And he says and makes a point, and I don't disagree, is that the universe is a serial universe. Meaning, when I make a change, when I do a revision, when I do any sort of manifesting, it creates a series of steps from where I'm at to this reality. Serial. Steps. Steps are experienced As experiences, right? You step through steps in an experiential standpoint. I went to the gym, then I came back and went to the store, and then, right? Or I went through a whole day, but it's still an experiential thing as far as time is concerned. Now, how we move through that, or how we step into a parallel universe, or how we step into a parallel reality, or how we alter our current reality, again, These things are discussed in here. Goddard, I don't know where this chapter goes. All right, he continues. And out of this world, towards the end of the chapter, it's a reasonably long chapter. To understand how man molds his future in harmony with his assumption, we must know what he means by dimensionally larger world. For it is a dimensionally larger world that we go to alter our future. The observation of an event before it occurs implies that the event is predetermined from the point of view of man in the three-dimensional world. Therefore, to change the conditions here in the three dimensions of space, we must first change them in the four dimensions of space. Man does not know exactly what is meant by dimensionally larger world, and could no doubt deny the existence of a dimensionally larger self. He is quite familiar with the three dimensions of length, width, and height, and he feels that if there were a fourth dimension, it should be just as obvious to him as the dimensions of length, width, and height. A dimension is not a line, it is any way in which a thing can be measured that is entirely different from all other ways. That is, to measure a solid fourth dimensionally, we simply measure it by any direction except that of length, width, and height. Is there another way of measuring an object other than those of length, width, and height? Time measures my life without employing the dimensions of length, width, and height. There is no such thing as an instantaneous object. Its appearance and disappearance are measurable. It endures for a definite length of time. We can measure its lifespan without using the dimensions of length, width, and height. Time is definitely a fourth way of measuring an object. The more dimensions an object has, the more substantial and real it becomes. A straight line, which lies entirely in one dimension, requires shape, mass, and substance, by the addition of dimensions. What new quality would time, the fourth dimension, give that would make it just as vastly superior to solids as solids are to surfaces and surfaces are to lines? Time is a medium for changes in experience because all changes take time. The new quality is changeability. Observe that if we bisect a solid, its cross-section will be surface. By bisecting a surface, we obtain a line and by bisecting a line, we get a point. This means that a point is but a cross-section of a line, which is in turn but a cross-section of a surface, which is in turn but a cross-section of a solid, which is in turn, if carried to its logical conclusion, but a cross-section of a four-dimensional object. We cannot avoid the interference that all three-dimensional objects are but cross-sections of four-dimensional bodies, which means when I meet you, I meet a cross-section of the four-dimensional you, the 4 dimensional self that is not seen. To see the four-dimensional self, I must see every cross-section or moment of your life from birth to death and see them all as coexisting. Time all exists at once, is what he's saying. My focus should take in the entire array of sensory impressions which you have experienced on earth, plus those you might encounter. I should see them not in the order in which they were experienced by you, but as a present whole. Because change is the characteristic of a fourth dimension, I should see them in the state of flux as a living, animated whole. If we have all this clarity fixed in our minds, what does it mean to us in the three-dimensional world? It means that if we can move along time's length, we can see the future and alter it as we desire. This world which we think so solidly real, is a shadow out of which and beyond which we may at any time pass. It is an abstraction from a more fundamental and dimensionally larger world, a more fundamental world abstracted from a still more fundamental and dimensionally larger world, and so on to infinity. The absolute is unattainable by any means or analysis, no matter how many dimensions we add to the world the absolute meaning the finite right they can't you can't have an absolute in coding and math one of the things that's very interesting is null is nothing and null doesn't equal anything nothing equals anything you can't compare nothing to anything right if it's nothing already it's not less than anything cuz I, I what's nothing it's not greater than anything cuz what's nothing and the same goes true for things like infinity If you take infinity and divide it by two, it's still infinity. It's still forever. It's still endless. And thusly, if you take one and divide by infinity, you can get infinitesimally small. So the concept of absolute really doesn't exist, especially from a dimensional level, where you can continue to kind of add dimensions and add infinitum, as they would say. We continue. Man can prove the existence of a dimensionally larger world simply by focusing his attention on an invisible state and imagining that he sees and feels it. If he remains concentrated in this state, his present environment will pass away, and he will be taken in a dimensionally larger world where the object of his contemplation will be seen as a concrete, objective reality. Intuitively, I feel... Were he to abstract his thoughts from this dimensionally larger world and retreat still further within his mind, he would again bring about an externalization of time. He would discover that every time he retreats into his inner mind and brings about an externalization of time, space becomes dimensionally larger. And he would therefore conclude that both time and space are serial, and that the drama of life is but the climbing of a multitudinous dimensional time block." Scientists will one day explain why there is a serial universe. But in practice, how we use this serial universe to change the future is more important. To change the future, we need only concern ourselves with two worlds in the infinite series. The world we know by reasons of our bodily organs, and the world we perceive independently of our bodily organs. Goddard finishes off the chapter in, again, a kind of a deep way. Now, again, he is specifically speaking to the fourth dimensional aspect, but he gets into the fact that if you spatially dissect or bisect a three dimensional or four dimensional object, you end up with a three dimensional object. And when he said, when I'm speaking to you, I'm speaking to your four dimensional self. This was written back in the 60s. So saying you've got a higher self, you've got this magic part of yourself that exists outside of what I can measure, measure was a little bit crazy but that is what he's talking about as well and it's the part of ourselves that's beyond space beyond time the part of ourselves that i frequently like to say is like the, the above the forest right we're down in the forest We all we can see is trees the famous phrase you can't see the forest through the trees our higher self's the part that's above all the trees, above the canopy, and can see the forest. It can see the waterfall over there. It can see the cliff over there. It can see the river that runs back that way. It can see the lake and civilization. It can see with clarity what we really are after. And one of the beautiful things, and he gets into this again in this book, I'm gonna do another side of this, but. What he talks about, one, the lullaby, he gets into the whole manifesting, right? You've got to break it down into your desire. Just talked about this recently. Break it into your desire. Create a statement or a small, concise kind of, this is what I, did, I want, like breaking it into a, a, an image, an imaginal scene, whatever the case is, words that you want to say over and over. And then you get yourself in a place where you kind of don't really feel your body. You get yourself into a place where space and time kind of don't exist. That place right before you go to bed, but you're not quite asleep, but you're not quite awake, but you're not quite asleep. And you kind of try to stay in that little place where you can sort of still steer your thoughts. And from that place, you can very, very easily impress your subconscious mind. That spot, by the way, is almost exactly what happens when people get hypnotized. That's where you get yourself when they finally are able to do the programming is you are in that barely conscious phase. And you can get yourself to a place, and then they can kind of say, and now you're totally relaxed, and you've got permission to kind of bounce out of there, but you're still conscious. It's that same place. So that's where that programming can take place. And when we go in, and when we see with our internal senses, when we see the reality of our desire in our internal senses... When we hold it as true, when we sit there and, and behold it, stand before it, stand with it, stand beside it, and experience it, meaning we get a feeling from it. We feel like it's actually here. We feel like it's real. When we get ourselves to that place, when we get ourselves where we can totally feel it with our hearts, with our, our even fake feelings, but our fake sight and our fake taste and our fake smell and our imaginal world even experiences it. Where it feels completely real, that creates the impression that then forces it out into this higher dimensional concept of world, where it does crystallize into 3D. He's making the point, like I said, curious where he's going in this chapter or this book. Out of this world is the book we're doing now, again, out of the, your uh, weekly reader, I have a link below you guys can check it out if you like it's it's a great book it's got like 10 different goddard books in it i've already done i think four i think this is the fifth one that i'm doing in this series and plan on doing a bunch more i'm not done having fun with goddard by any means whatsoever but really when we want to understand where some of this crazy stuff comes from in our life this is it he's talking about it he's getting into some heavy deep stuff and i think where we get from here should be very very interesting again There's two different realities. He calls it your carnal reality and your spiritual reality. I'm pulling this out of my, you know what, really quick. Yes, your carnal reality and the spiritual reality. Carnal reality is the one that looks at what's real around you, and the spiritual reality is the one that we understand to be there, even though it's not our physical senses. It's our spiritual senses. I liken it to our sixth senses. Many of us have our quote-unquote five regular senses. The sixth senses are the equivalent of your spiritual versions of your sight, and maybe your third eye, your maybe sort of speaking words in your mind or telepath- uh, telepathy, kind of the speaking portion, hearing, you can hear things that aren't around you that are spiritual hearing, you can feel things intuitively, so that's your sense of feel and taste. I'm not sure. Yeah, you can imagine taste. I've tasted things before, even bitter. Like you've smelled sweet smells that have maybe, you know, someone's visiting you that can somehow have that kind of experience on you as well. But those are your extra senses, your extrasensory senses. And those are the ones that are dealing with the spiritual part of our world. And then down in the physical part of the world where our ego's at and all this other stuff, you've got your carnal senses. And for those that believe in their carnal senses, it becomes a much trickier thing to manifest because it's requiring you to change. But the one thing I say to everybody, think of all the wonderful things that we've created that are just amazing. Flight, powered flight. Look at going to the moon or even going to space. Just some of the amazing things that we have done that people said were impossible at one time. Impossible just means I can't see it yet. But the difference between someone that says something's impossible and someone that says, nah, we can do that, is the person that says it's impossible looks at their carnal world, looks at what's around them, and says, yeah, I don't see it. It's not possible. And the one who says, "No, yeah, it's totally possible, looks at their spiritual senses and looks at the world and says, yeah, we can do this. That's the difference to getting your dream and being someone that's like, this doesn't work. If you know it can, if you can get yourself into that place in your mind, where it is, then your dreams come true. Dan Radio Style.